0: Our passage this morning out of the Gospel of Mark comes from chapter 10, starting in verse 32. It's a fairly longer passage, but I do want to take the time to read it to us this morning. I'd encourage you as I read, if you're following along, your Bible's great. If you want to go to the summitstl.info, there's a sermon notes page you can go to that has everything on there as well that we're going to be doing today. But to really pay attention to and focus specifically, listen for Jesus' words, He asks a provocative question, and then he has a pretty incredible response at the end of our passage. So let's pay attention closely to Jesus and his words this morning. Chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit in my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. would be first among you, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us what we have not. Please give us. And perhaps most importantly today, Father, what we are not, please make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to engage you a little differently this morning. I'm going to do something at the very beginning I've never done before. I'm going to call out your inner child. I want you to go with me on this. I want us to memorize Mark 10.45. And the best way for kids and us to memorize things is to use movement. So I'm going to teach you this verse, and I want you to mirror back the verse to me, okay? We're going to learn it together. So I want there's nothing really spiritual about how I made up these movements. That I just made them up with Trudy. So you guys just go with me on this, okay? So here's, here's how I want you to do this. I'm going to, I know all of you are getting really uncomfortable. You're like, I don't want to do it. I'm going to sit here next to somebody I don't even know. I'm going to do these movements. Yes, you're going to do them with me. So here's how it goes, okay? For even... The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow, you guys are really good. So one more time, one more time, because part of my what are we going to do this morning is memorize this verse, okay? For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. When I was in college, I was a part of a ministry that really valued memorizing scripture. And this was one of the verses that we had to memorize. And we had a Christmas conference every year that we went to. And one of the years, we had this big thing one night where everyone was there, a couple hundred college students, where we were going to have a scripture memory competition, And so I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in. Let's go, scripture memory competition. I don't do sports, scripture memory I can do. So I get up there, I've got it all together. I'm in this. There's kids from all different kinds of colleges there. I'm representing Tulsa University. It's going down, going down, going down. It gets to me and another girl. It's the finals. So we're there and they say to me, all right, Brian, here's your verse, Mark 10, 45. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I got this. So I stand up there and I strut up there and I go, for the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they don't say anything. And the one judge leans over to the other judge and then And they say, hey, w- could you say that one more time? So with all the confidence and swagger that i had had the first time I did it, which can we all acknowledge is a little ironic to say Mark 1045 with confidence and swagger, (laughs) I stand up to the front of the stage and I go, for the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they say, "Eh, wrong, done. And then she does like John 20, 21 or something, I don't know, and she wins. I'm wondering if you caught what I missed. A four-letter word. Even. Even. For even the Son of Man can I just tell you that that one moment in 1995, whatever that was, about 28 years ago, that one tiny word has literally wrecked me since then. Not because I cared about winning that silly scripture memory competition, although maybe a little, I wanted to win. Thank you, Bob, for calling it out. For even. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Jesus here is establishing in this one statement the foundational value for what it means to follow him, what it means to live in his kingdom, the value that violently clashes with every value that our world espouses. That's backwards from every value that our world encourages. And it's this, the preeminent value of the kingdom of God is not power, not winning, not greatness, not control. It's not even freedom. The preeminent value of God's kingdom is serving. And Mark makes it very clear It is, many argue, the climactic statement, the turning point in the book, the one theme verse in the book of Mark that he's leading up to this moment, that he's saying if you're going to trust Jesus, then you're going to have a servant life, a giving life. This is is what you're going to become, a servant, because if anybody could reasonably be expected not to serve but instead to be served, it's the Son of Man. I mean, when you look through this chapter, Mark chapter 10, we started with Jesus engaging with the Pharisees on the idea of Moses and what he taught, and Jesus there is claiming to them, I have more authority than Moses. And last week, Jesus, with the involving with this teacher or this guy who was like the rich young ruler who was like hey Jesus I call you good teacher and Jesus makes this crazy claim he's like if you call me a good teacher you're calling me God and he basically makes this claim to be God now here he calls himself twice in this passage the son of man and the son of man is a figure in Daniel who would appear with God alongside God with the full authority and reign of God But Jesus doesn't claim divine authority so he can subdue us all. He claims to be the most powerful individual to have ever walked the face of the planet. And he wields his power not for himself, but for the sake of others to serve, not to be served. He is the one who created all things, the one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together. He is the one who, if you were to stand next to, is more worthy than any of us on any level whatsoever. And he is the one who came to serve and not be served. And he says, even me, even I, am not here to be served. My friends, (laughs) I worry about the church. I worry about you and I worry about me. I worry that we have let how the world thinks about leadership, how the world thinks about power, how the world thinks about control, I'm worried that we've allowed the world to cause us to lose sight of what it means to follow Jesus. Pastors, we have this thing for preaching where we like to talk in hyperbole because it might seem more powerful, take things over the top a little bit. So I'm calling that out, but I wonder, I think it's worth discussing that possibly in this moment in history, for us in this second of time, that one of the greatest spiritual enemies of our day is selfish ambition. It's selfish gain, and Jesus was really deeply concerned about it. What Jesus wanted for the church, for those who call themselves Christians, is that they should be living and adopting the posture of a servant, not on the basis of some ethical reasoning, but because it was his posture. And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so there is one simple question for us this morning. If you've said, I will follow Jesus, are you a servant? Well, Jesus points out what the opposite of a servant is in this passage. He makes it very clear in verse 42. He says, and Jesus called to them saying, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them that lording, this word lording, is the opposite of what it means to be a servant. And so as we can flesh this out, tease this out together as a church, what it means to lord is it means to use our position for gain. To use our position for gain. Power is a very interesting concept We rarely ever, if, as a church, talk through and wrestle through what does it mean to use power in a sinful way. Power is an incredibly dangerous thing because we never know how much power we have and we always want more. Jesus here is prohibiting individual persons from forcibly ruling over others. That's what he's talking about with the Gentiles. He's he's calling out the way that they lead, the way that they think about doing life. And he's saying, I'm prohibiting this way of thinking. It's very apropos if you think about it because when do we feel like we are important? When we have a position to exert power over somebody else. I'm going to be a little blunt here. My fears and worries about not just church, but all churches, our church, is that we can use power in a dark and evil way if we align ourselves with the way the world thinks about power. And the church has gotten off track here. We're seeing it. We're seeing pastors who are using their power in sinful ways to demand obedience, to reject repentance, to guard their territory, to tell people how they should behave and act. We see it in how the church has taught about marriages in many ways. Church has encouraged men to use their power in domineering ways over women. We have ways to kind of tweak it where it doesn't sound like that. We're seeing in how the church is trying to use their power to suppress the marginalized rather than care for the marginalized. Now, listen, there's something in all of us that wants to be just like James and John. They said to Jesus, we want you to do something for us. If you had the opportunity to ask Jesus something, the reality of what Mark's trying to say to us is you ask that question to Jesus all the time. We come to Jesus all the time and we ask Jesus, I want you to do something for me. And what does Jesus do? He says, what do you want me to do? And how do they answer? They say, we want power. We want authority. We want position. Can I put that in our vernacular? Fix my wife. Change my boss. Make people like me. When Jesus confronts where we want to be, he says, if you choose to follow me, you will not, Lord, you will not use your position for gain. And then he has another nuance to what he says. He's actually talking specifically. He says, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And then he says, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And there's much to unpack about what Jesus says here. But he's exposing something else that is very apparent in all of us as it was apparent in me when I was in a silly competition of scripture memory. We want to win. We want to win. And Jesus here is addressing hierarchical leadership. It's what he's pressing on. Christians, we have bought into this idea that the way to change our culture is to follow or get behind people who will win, and then we can gain the power necessary through them to implement the changes we want. We want to get behind people who will lord it over people. And Jesus is saying, that's not my way. Do you believe him? Well, what is his way? Do you know there are three times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says, I'm going to die. We saw it here at the very beginning of this passage, verses 32 through 35. Three times he says that very thing in the Gospel of Mark. And literally each time the disciples respond with selfish ambition. Each time Jesus says, I'm going to die and rise again, they say, hey, hey can we be on your right and your left? Can, can, hey, hey! can we have power? Can, I, and, and there's this thing in them that they're like, oh, great, you die, we'll take over. We got this. We'll do it. We're good. And, and, and we we laugh, but we have this same propensity to exactly what they have. They want to know what they're going to get. They want to know what's in it for them. And Jesus is making it Super clear to us and to them that human greatness does not come through pride and power. It comes through service for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is saying, you'll use your position to serve. Paul talks about this in the book of Philippians and I pull a couple of principles here from what he said in Philippians chapter 2. Using our position to serve means that we'll think of others more significant than ourselves. It's interesting, there's no room in Christianity for smugness, for arrogance, for looking at others and saying, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm better than them. Can I ask you to consider paying attention to that this week? To how easily it is for us to look down on people who have less money than us, people who think differently politically than us, people who aren't as put together than us. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to, to follow me, he makes it pretty clear, you must be a servant. A servant to who? A servant to the people who make less money than us. A servant to the people who think differently politically than us. A servant to the people who aren't as put together as us. Then he says, secondly, not only will you use your position to serve, he says you're going to use your authority to serve. You're going to look to the interests of others. In Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, there's a great parallel account here of thinking about culture and what does it look like for Christians to be engaged in and and invested in culture. And in Jeremiah, Israel is in exile and God tells them to do something incredibly unique. God tells Israel in chapter 29, he says, listen, don't hide, don't run away, don't condemn and critique, don't have nothing to do with the culture. He says, I want you to seek the prosperity of the city you are in. Care for people, serve people, love people, pray for people, and you can imagine this conversation that they might be having with God, where they might say, well, what if they don't like you? What if they believe differently than me? What if, they don't, what if they're against what you think? And God would say, serve them. He says, the ordinary way that we think that we get influence, the ordinary way that the world has taught us, church, to think that influence will happen is take power. And God to the Israelites in Jeremiah, and today through Jesus in Mark chapter 10, says, No, I have a different approach, a totally different approach. I want you to make yourself so sacrificially loving to a city and the people in that city that the people around you who don't believe, that they will say they can't imagine the city without you. There's always this hesitation that comes up when we start talking about serving. I, I, it comes up in my own heart. It's like, well, well Brian, you know, if, we, if we really serve people, if we just take that on, you know, people are going to start to take advantage of us. And, and we we'd like to try to defend that. Well, I, I would like to offer this to the church how about we fall into that problem? Like, let's have the problem of people saying, yeah, they got run over, instead of people saying, they're a bunch of jerks. I mean, let's have the problem where we're like, yeah, okay, maybe I went a little too far in serving somebody, as opposed to us living in this world of taking power and authority and trying to act like we need to be the ones who are in charge because we want to win. And we're going to save the world by winning. And recognizing how counter that is to what Jesus is calling us to. Now, I know what you're thinking, because this is what I was thinking. Why would anyone want to serve like that? Who in their right mind wants to follow Jesus like that? Well, let me start by addressing why lording doesn't work. Let me date myself just a little bit here. There's the movie You've Got Mail. How many of you guys have seen the movie You've Got Mail? Okay. You're old then too. (laughs) There's a great scene in the movie where Meg Ryan is talking to Tom Hanks' character and she's wishing that she could speak her mind. She's wishing that she could say how things are and she says, I wish I could just give the zinger when I wanted to in the moment, that I could could just say what I'm thinking. And Tom Hanks is like, hey, I have an idea. How about I'll just tell you what to say and you can say it. And she gets all excited and then he says something incredibly profound. He says, but let me warn you. I can help you, but you should know that when you say what's on your mind, remorse in edi- inevitably follows. Friends, we live in a zinger culture, don't we? And what people are saying about our culture is what? <laughs> that we're unhappy, cranky, and divided. When we exert power and control over others in a self-aggrandizing, lording way. Unless we become immune to it, which is even more dangerous, it will lead us to remorse. We all have had that experience in our lives where we've put somebody down or where we've exerted power in a way I experienced it perhaps the most with my kids when I would have that moment of lording over them and then immediately feeling like something was wrong. Jesus breaks into the world to present a way of life, frankly, that we will not intentionally choose. It's the upside-down way of life. And what he's offering to his disciples and to you and to me is he's saying, you will be happy, content, and free if you serve. I would offer to you that the reason why we should choose Jesus's way is on the negative side. We've experienced the fruit of lording, and it doesn't produce any fruit in our lives that we want to eat. So what's the positive reason? I was reading a book this week. Someone suggested that one of the reasons we should choose to be like Jesus is that if you think about Jesus, maybe, some of you maybe have watched the, the series, The Chosen, and, and this has come out as you've watched this. If you think about Jesus and read through the gospels, we find him to be one of the most happy, joyous, content-filled person, if not the most satisfied person to have ever walked the planet. He was never thrown off guard. He never yelled at anybody. He was gracious with the most broken people. He was slow. He was patient. He was deeply kind. And his whole life was built around what? Serving. For even the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man, who had the greatest position and the greatest authority, and he could have spoken in such a way that we would have hoped that people would have just listened. And what does he choose? The path of serving. And he said that if you want to follow me, if you want to call yourself my disciple, this is the path. So where do we get the power to become a servant like that? Where do we get the power to become people who can reject the things that our pride and our ego so easily and desperately want to go to? Well, we have to come to a place of seeing that Jesus chose to serve you and me. When Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, who was he saying he was going to serve me the cross for jesus is not some difficult episode to be gone through on the way to a happy ending it is precisely god's way of standing in the face of worldly power, control, and authority, and putting it on its head. And Jesus chose to serve me and you. And how does the verse tell us that he chose to serve? Well, he chose to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. Now, ransom is a really weird word. I mean, the more I dug into this word ransom, the less... It made sense to me in some ways. So ransom, the biblical definition, got this out of a Bible dictionary, is this. It's a price paid to secure the freedom of a slave or to set free from liabilities and charges and generally the deliverance from calamity by paying the forfeit. So to be ransomed is to have someone make a huge sacrificial payment that matched the value or paid the debt of the slave or the captive in order to gain their freedom. And that's what Jesus chose to do for you and me. There's a great quote in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where C.S. Lewis says this, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. The imagery there is powerful, right? That this is the ransom, a willing victim, Jesus, who had committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, that he took the place. And if that person, if there was no treachery in them, then death itself would start working backwards. Ransom, it's a weird word for us to wrap our heads around, and maybe that's a cultural thing, I, I tried to, you know, here we are at the end of my sermon, and what do we do at the end of sermons? We try to tell really powerful stories that make people, you know, move you and go, yeah, that's awesome. Well, there's not any really powerful stories about ransom because it's mostly about kidnapping. So when we think of ransom, right, when you think about ransom, you think about, you know, you know, as scary as it is, right? A kid was kidnapped and taken and there's a ransom for them. Or we, we think it, with wars that are going on, like a journalist was captured and there's a ransom to get them back. Or a war prisoner was captured and there's a ransom to get them back, which it is. That is what it means to ha- pay this ransom. But if we think about a ransom in that way, we're missing something incredibly important about how Jesus is using the word ransom. Because when we think about those ransoms, when we think about the child, when we think about the journalist, when we think about the soldier, the reality is, is that those people are innocent. That the ransom that's being paid for them is because people want them back. And here's the twist with Jesus. The ransom that needed to be paid for you and for me was because we were not innocent. We had gained a debt and a cost that we deserved. It's one thing to pay the debt and a ransom for a good person. It's a whole nother thing to pay the debt and a ransom for a selfish person. Have you ever considered that you were ransomed? My friends, this is what we need to take in. This is what we need our hearts to be moved by that we were in prison and captive by our own doing by our own selfishness, by our own selfish ambition, by our own hunger for power and control and authority. And Jesus came to buy you back. And when we see that, when we truly see that we were not worthy to be ransomed, It will change us. Tim Keller, he once said this, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I deserve, I would deserve a certain quality of life from God. But if it really is true that I am a sinner, saved by sheer grace, at God's infinite cost, at the cost of his son, at the cost of one who had committed no treachery, then there is nothing he cannot ask of me. And you. And what he is asking is not to lord it over, not to pursue selfish ambition, not to be power and control hungry. He's asking us to serve. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Almighty awesome God, we come to you confessing our longing to use power in an evil way. Help us. Help us to see Jesus. As Dwayne said, help us to be moved by the gospel and his ransoming of us. And, And might that move us so much that we would say, whatever you ask Jesus, knowing that he says, go serve. And may we become a place, a group of people, humble, broken, messed up, self-righteous, selfishly ambitious people who fall at the feet of Jesus and say, we'll serve because you served us. And pray that today in the name of Jesus. Amen.